love uh, to worship with you here at Eastside. And man, I love seeing all those kids, 17 of them graduating, going all over the world in their college degree. That's, that's, that's tremendous. But I think we need to have a moment of silence for 17 sets of parents who are forever out of money. Am I right? Huh? That was great to see them. Hey, listen, I want you to uh, see if you remember an old story you used to go around years ago about a couple Catholic nuns, and they had been to the grocery store shopping for everybody, and on the way back ran out of gas. And they thought, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they knew there was a gas station about a mile away. They'd passed it, and they thought, well, maybe we can go back here and get some gas, but they didn't have no gas can. What are we going to do about that? So they dive into the old trunk, and they're rattling around from something. There's got to be something in here. Hold some gas. And they found an old bedpan from the hospital they used to work at. Now, well, I guess they had to hold it. So they walk back to the gas station about a mile. They fill that old bedpan full of this gas. They walk back to the car very carefully, make sure none of it, none of it spills out. And they take that old bedpan, they pull off the gas cap, and they start to pull that gas in that, in, in that, uh, in that car. And right then... A semi-truck came by, and the trucker looked and did a double take, and he said to himself, now that's faith if there's ever faith, okay? That's faith if there's ever faith. Now, I think that old trucker might have been on to something. If we can figure out a way, somehow, some way, that human waste will get our cars running, we might save a whole lot of money nowadays, hadn't we, huh? For the next four weekends at Eastside, I want to talk to you about faith. That's a word you hear almost every single time you come in church. It's a word that is very, very common among people who believe in God and follow Jesus. But I want to talk to you about faith in the sense of what, what really is it? And what does it mean to live with faith? What does that all come to? And so for the next four weekends, we're going to dive into it. And when you get done with these four weekends, you're going to have a really good feel about what faith is as it's described for us in the Bible. Now, we're going to become very familiar with a specific verse in the Bible. I want you to look at it from the book of Hebrews. It's chapter 11, verse 6, and it says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, I want that, I want that sentence. We're going to look at it probably a few times over these next few weekends, but right now I want you to get into it, and I'm, I'm going to ask for it to get down into your business a little bit and mess with you for a few seconds. I wanted to get under your grill for a minute before we jump in there. I, I want you to, to think of this idea of pleasure, of somebody being pleased with you re regarding who you are and the way you live and something about you that somebody else looks at you and they have an incredible high view of you, and they are pleased with who you are. Now, just kind of let that settle for a second. So, so maybe if you think about it in those terms, you, you go to work and your boss comes up to you and says, hey, you're doing a great job. We're so much better here because you are on our team. That's being pleased with you. At the, at the workplace. And, and maybe it's a spouse who comes up to you and says, you know what? I'm the luckiest person on the earth to be wearing your ring. I'm so pleased at you. Maybe it's a pastor who says to you, man, I'm just so glad you're one of our members here at the church. Just go ahead and take off uh, your tithe from the next month. Just go ahead and skip it. Well, there's a limit to faith, okay? There's a limit to that. But I want you to take that concept, and I want you to get it down into your soul for a second before we jump into it. I want you to think about this for a second. The creator of the universe 
I mean, you can't get any higher than that. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the creator, the owner, the Lord, God himself looks at you and says, hey, just so you know, you warm my heart. Man, what would that be like? Max Mercado used to say it like this. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And so when you think about that idea of God being pleased with me, that God looking at you and having a great favor as he looks at you, what this verse tells us, that unless you possess faith, that ain't gonna happen. Faith is the necessary secret sauce to bring a smile to the face of God. And so that's a big deal. That's a powerful sentence in the Bible. And because it is such a big deal, what God did was devote an entire chapter in the Bible to describe what it means to have faith. I mean, if it's essential for him to be pleased with you, he says, man, I want you to know about it. And so he's given a whole chapter to that. And that's something you probably ought to know about if you're a follower of God. There are places in the Bible where something is so important that God just gave it its whole own chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. Psalm 19 is about the word of God. Hebrews 11 is about faith. It's the whole chapter that tells us what it means to be a person of faith. Now, if we backed up from verse 6, and we went back to the very start of the chapter, he kind of tells us what faith is. Before he talks to us about how to do it, he says, Here, here's what it really means. And you probably have heard the first verse of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. So all the things that you want God to do for you, you know that he's gonna do it. That's faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so the heartbeat of faith, the bottom line of faith at its most basic level is to believe something that you can't see. And I, and I would suggest even believing something that you can't see yet. That God said it, and although I can't see it yet, I know that it's gonna happen. And so after the first verse where he kind of defines this in a real broad stroke, what happens in the 11th chapter is then the author starts giving us many, many real life examples of people who lived like that. And there are many, many of those people, most of them from the Old Testament that are listed in this chapter about here's how this person put that into practice in their life. And so you've got all these examples of living in something that you can't see, living in something you may not understand, living in something that you're hoping for but it hadn't happened yet. And so you had all these examples of it, and what we decided that we would do here in our church is we would take four of them, 
Now, they're not the most important four. That's not why we picked them. We just picked four that we think are relevant to how you and I live in the world that we live. And we want to look at each one of those and say, okay, that's how that person lived in faith. And I want to make sure their story is my story too. Why is that so big a deal? Because if you don't make that happen, you can't please God. It's a big, big deal. And so we're going to look at four of them, and the very first one that we're going to look at is the story about Noah. If you want to be a person of faith, why would I want to be a person of faith? Because that is required for God to be pleased with me. Watch this. So if you want to be a person of faith, Noah's story has to be your story. You've got to have the same story. And so most of us know about the flood and the boat and all that kind of stuff, but I want you to look at how the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, I want you to see how he talked about the story of Noah. And it's magical what you're going to see in that. So let me put it up. It's at the seventh verse, and this right here is what he wrote about concerning the faith of Noah. And his story got to be your story. So let's look at it. By faith, Noah, when warned, somebody say warned so I know you're here. Okay, all right, I got a good crowd here, all right, because we're going to talk about that. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, just look at that. It's kind of interesting that in one sentence, one, one verse here, he mentions faith three times. He's hammering the idea that Noah was a man of faith. And what I want to show you is how that faith came into play in the life of Noah, and I'm going to plead with you that you make sure this happens to you so that you have the same story. Now, what you see on the screen here is a transformation It's kind of like a a before and after picture that Noah had something going on before, and you'll see it in a minute, and because of his faith, he had something going on after. There was a radical transformation. Now, we see transformation all the time, okay? Um, You might might know of somebody who, who maybe they were physically just terribly unhealthy, And so they really focused on that. They went to the doctor and really gave everything. And then all of a sudden, man, things are getting better. And now they're a picture of health. That's radical transformation. You you might be somebody who who you went to a new job. And man, it was something. I don't know how to do this stuff. And you're just kind of wigging out at the beginning. But you hung in there. And you learned it. And at the end, you get a promotion. Radical transformation. There's all kinds of transformations that happen in life. But the one that happens here is the one that absolutely has to happen to you. It has to happen to you. So let me show you how it happened with Noah. Let me kind of give you the before the picture, okay? Let's look at the before the picture. And I'm gonna call it this. Let's put it up here so everybody can see it. I want you to see this, wrath on the way. Wrath on the way, wrath on the way. If if, if that sounds not much fun, That's the intention, okay? 
Now, many of y'all were here last weekend. We celebrated mamas, and we celebrated womanhood, and uh, we've been kind of buzzing about it all week. It was just one of those weekends, man, where it was a feel-good weekend in the house of God, and it just felt good, man. We just celebrated, and it was great to have everybody together, and we walked out of here just kind of on a cloud. Man, that was awesome. Okay, today, 180-degree turn. If you want to feel good, you're in the wrong spot right now, okay? Because Noah's transformation starts with what is called wrath on the way. Now, what's that mean? Well, the text says that God warned him. So God shows up and he says something is about to happen that is going to be devastating. God warned him. And you'll notice as we read the text that once Noah heard the warning from God, it said Noah had a holy fear that he heard what God was going to do and it scared the heebie-jeebies out of him, was scared to death. Now, because you and I know the story, most of us understand what Noah and all that stuff was about. We kind of get it, but if you... If you went all the way back to when it actually happened in the book of Genesis, you'll find this warning and this holy fear coming up. And you know the story from Genesis chapter 6. Let me show you to you real quick. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on earth. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth. And you know how the next few chapters happen in the book of Genesis where this massive flood comes on and Noah heard about it and it scared the daylights out of him because he knew that wrath was on the way. I want that to be heavy in the room. I want that to be thick in the room that he knew wrath from God was on the way. Now, you may have worked through this before at certain times, but when you get down into the weeds of that, there's some things that probably are are good for us to know. One of those things, it is debatable about whether it had ever even rained before. This was early in creation, and there are some people who believe, some, some actual scientists who believe that in that part of the world, rain had never occurred before at all. And so when God told uh, Noah, hey, it's going to rain, Noah was like, what you talking about, bro? Uh, he didn't know what rain is. Now, there's other people who say that's silly. Okay, that's silly. Of course, it had rained. The ecosystem was working. But at the very least, it's questionable. Now, here's what's not questionable. It had never rained that much. In that particular area, there was nothing in that area at all where there were large bodies of water that would have been created for massive amounts of rain. So even if it had rained, it had never, ever flooded, ever. And so when God warns Noah that some bad wrath is on the way in the form of a flood. Noah didn't know what he's talking about. And because it had never flooded and there were no large bodies of water, when God asked him to build a boat, he'd never seen a boat. 
And I kind of think about that a little bit, and, and I kind of envision a conversation between God and Noah. Um, you, you, you know how people, when they have conversations with somebody in their house, and sometimes we have it with our kids, that they kind of write the, uh, a summary of the conversation on Facebook, okay? So if God and Noah were doing that, and we kind of Facebook post it, it probably looks something like this. Let's throw this up here. So God says, Noah, build a boat. Noah says, sure, glad to. God says, thank you. Noah says, no problem. Now, it continues on after a few minutes because Noah starts thinking. So Noah jumps in here, and Noah says, do we got Noah up here coming up? Um, God. And God says, yes, my child. And Noah says, what's the boat? Okay? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not sure about that. And the essence of faith, watch this, the essence of faith for Noah was to know, although he'd never seen it, didn't understand it, might not even have agreed with it, he believed that God meant what God said, that wrath is on the way, and it scared him so much that he started building a construction that he'd never seen in all of his days. Now, let's take that and let's think about that for a second. Noah's story was long ago, okay? I haven't told you anything yet you don't know about, but then, man, it was a long time ago, and now we stand up here and we say, okay, if God is gonna be pleased with you, dude, you gotta have faith like Noah, and you think, okay, do I gotta build a boat? Okay, what do I gotta do? I mean, that story was a long time ago. I don't know if that applies to me. Well, interestingly enough, the Bible presents Noah's story, listen carefully to this, as a precursor. In other words, all of Noah's story in the Bible was used in the Old Testament to point to something else. So Noah hears that wrath is on the way. And what we find out when we study that in the Bible is that God uses that as a parallel to teach you and I that wrath is still on the way. And Jesus told us about that. And this is where the story of Noah gets so fascinating is we get caught up with what happened in the book of Genesis. And we teach our kids little cute little stories about Noah and the boat and all the animals. And we get caught up in that. And all of that, all of that was only biblically to point to another time that the wrath of God would show up. That the wrath of God is on the way. And Jesus emphasized it strongly. See, there was a day in which he and his disciples were talking and they got off into the conversation about the end of the world and when Jesus would come. And what Jesus did is he, quote, he equated his return and the end of the world to the days of Noah. He said that will be just like the days of Noah. And Jesus began to explain that to his disciples in one of the most lengthy discourses we have of Jesus. 
It's two chapters long in the book of Matthew. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus explained this in an olive garden on a mount right outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus described it in these two chapters that wrath is on the way. The same way it was with Noah, it's happening now. And he begins to describe that in these two chapters. I, I want to read probably more scripture today than I normally do, but I, I just pulled out some parts of Matthew 24 and 25 that talk about the impending wrath of God on the world. So let me show you some things Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. He said, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And you can start to sense right here maybe something that Noah dealt with regarding holy fear. Jesus went on to describe it with more detail in chapter 25 in a story that he was talking about. He said, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, I don't like weeping, but man, the gnashing of teeth. Holy fear. He goes on, let me show you something else he said in this. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Wrath is on the way. Anybody in the room right now think, can we just go back to Mother's Day? Can we just do that, huh? And the essence of the story of Noah in this transformation begins that way. You haven't seen it, it's never happened, but it's gonna happen just like it did with Noah. Now Jesus wasn't just having a bad day and just happened to kind of blurt that out. What we know biblically throughout the rest of the New Testament is that then is repeated again. One of Jesus' closest disciples by the name of Peter he writes in one of his books in the Bible, one of his epistles, he does the same thing. That what was going on in the days of Noah is a precursor to what will happen here. And so you go to the book of 2 Peter and Peter starts to make that same parallel. Let me show you a couple things that Peter wrote. Chapter three, verses five through seven. This is a couple slides long, so stay with me here. Long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What's he talking about? Noah. Now move on. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Wrath is on the way. That's the message of Noah, that he believed it because God said it, and it scared the daylights out of him. Peter went on to describe it a little bit more. 
He said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. You think the, the flood was bad? Wrath is on the way. What does a person of faith do when they realize that that's going to happen? And I know, I know in this room right now, we've got some Christians who've been Christians your whole life, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know about, but there's some of us, man, who are just kind of getting started in this thing, and we're just kind of checking it out, and we're finding out what all this Christianity stuff is about, and I want you to know that a real, real part of the message is that God will end this someday. And he will end it with a fury and with wrath. What happened to Noah just was a precursor to it. And you see it in the words of Jesus. You see it in the words of Peter, who heard Jesus talk to him about it. If you're one of my students in the book of Revelation, you know some of the things that the Revelation does for us is unfold for us with graphic detail what that end of wrath will be like. I, I want to read just a few of them for you again. I normally don't spend all the time reading Scripture, but I want you to see this. And I, don't get caught up in the images and the symbolism. Don't get caught up in that. Just get a sense for what the Revelation writer is telling us about the wrath that is to come. Let's look at a few of them. Chapter 6, verses 15 and 17. And the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Why? Because they were scared of the wrath to come. They called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Who's going to make it through that, is what they were saying. Let's go on and read from another passage in chapter 14. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. Chapter 14, verse 9 ends with this. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And if you're with us in the Revelation study, you know that what it does is intensifies its message as you move toward the end of the book. And it just tells us more and more in graphic, more and more intense detail. Let's go to chapter 20. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Let's move on. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then the 15th verse on that 20th chapter is the final picture of the wrath to come. And it says in the 15th verse, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I know that's a lot. I know that's crazy heavy. But remember the heartbeat of this is that God said, it is impossible for me to be pleased with you unless you have faith. And Noah was an example of that. And so Noah hears 
about the wrath of God that is to come, that is only a precursor of what you and I might face if we're still here when Jesus returns. And the precursor brings us to a point of absolute holy terror. Now, if you remember, I shared with you that there is a transformation in the faith of Noah. And that's why we're not done yet. Because there's kind of a before picture and an after picture in the life of Noah. And I want you to see what the after picture is, and, and I'm going I'm to apply that to our lives today. Let's look at this real quick. That we started with wrath on the way, but wrath on the way will be faded out through faith. And instead of wrath on the way, wrath is out of the way. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a brain surgeon, but which one of those do you want? Do you want to be able to say that wrath is on the way in my life, or do you want to say, no, dude, wrath is out of the way for me, has nothing to do. Which one do you want? And the difference is faith. And we go back to Noah's story who is warned by God of what is coming and in holy fear. What does he do? He builds an ark. He builds a boat. And that's what faith is. Faith always acts out. Faith always does something. Don't miss that. Faith never just believes it. Oh man, oh man, oh, this, this wrath is on the way. What am I gonna do about it? No, faith does something about the fear. And for Noah, his response was he built a boat. He didn't know what a boat was. It didn't make any sense to him whatsoever. But because of the impending wrath on the way, he wanted to bring a smile to the face of God if he never built the boat, then wrath would still be on the way. But he builds a boat, he saves himself and his family, and wrath is now out of the way. Have you ever been, seriously, you ever been near death? I mean, really right there. I think the closest I've ever come to death is drowning. I went fishing with my dad one time, and uh, we went up on this big hill. We were going into these strip mines, and uh, my friends from uh, Central Illinois will know what I'm talking about out there near Kickapoo State Park, these strip mines. And so we went up this great big hill. You drive up this great big hill to get back into the strip mines. And while we were fishing, I mean, a deluge came down. And everything was just crazy muddy. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so when we tried to get out of it, we, we, we left and the car got stuck. I mean, it was in deep, muddy roots and we could hardly get it out of there. That's another story for another time. And we finally got the car moving. And so we're driving this car and the road is just mud everywhere and we come to the top of that hill. And we're on the top of that hill and we're looking, okay, we gotta go down this hill now, which is nothing but mud, just total sloppy, nasty mud. And on both sides of this narrow road, there are two really big ponds. And so you're on the road 
or you're in the pond. That's your choice. And so we stop at the top, and I can remember my dad telling me this. He said, Davy, he used to always call me Davy. He goes, Davy, we got a problem. And he said, if I go slow, we're going to get stuck again. So I got to go as fast as I can go down that hill, as fast as I can. And probably because it's muddy, it's gonna, the car's going to go like this, and there's a really good chance we're going to end up in one of those ponds. So he said, why don't you do? Why don't you roll your window down? Roll your window down. And I said, some of y'all don't know what I'm doing right now, do you, huh? What is he doing, okay? <laughs> roll your window down, okay? And, he, and I said, why would I do that? Roll your window down. No, I'm not rolling the window down. Water come flying in. He said, Davey, if we go in the water and your window's up, you're going to die. You got to roll your window down. And if we go in the water, go out the window and swim like your life depends on it. And so I roll the window down because I am scared to daylights about what is going to happen. And I roll it down in faith doing something that makes no sense to me. And so Noah hears the impending wrath to come, and out of obedience and faith, he builds an ark. And now wrath is out of the way. Now, do you, do you remember kind of the thesis that I've been talking about today is that the story of Noah in the Bible is not just so we, you know, kind of get the idea of the, the two animals coming in, you know, build. it's not just that. It is pointing to something. The purpose of Noah's story is to point to the end of the world when wrath will return. And so the question is, how can wrath get out of our way? How can we walk out of this room right now and say, you know, wrath's on the way, but it ain't in my way. It's out of my way. How do you do that? Well, some of y'all are gonna go out and say, well, I guess I gotta build a boat somewhere. Gotta go buy a boat, okay? Now you don't gotta buy a boat. The fascinating aspect of this, which is fascinating, is all that stuff written about Noah in the book of Genesis, all that stuff in the Old Testament, it comes up again in the New Testament. I just showed you Matthew, 2 Peter, Revelation, talked about that. Well, we also find out, pointing precursor in the New Testament, about how you can get faith or, or, or wrath out of your way. So how do I do that? Well, let me show you a verse that comes up almost out of, the, out of the blue here, again from Peter in his first letter, and I want you to see how he brings this in. Check it out. He said, God waited patiently in the days of Noah. You see how he taught, brings that back, makes that parallel? God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Did anybody know that was in the Bible? Did anybody know that? We find out in the Old Testament, in the life of Noah, that wrath was on the way, and the only way to get it out of the way in faith was to build a boat. And now Peter brings it and says, 
here's your boat. Here's how you get out of that. How do I get out of that? And he mentions baptism. Now, if all you get out of that is, oh, so I be baptized? If that's all you get, you miss the point. Because baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is the moment. It is the, it is the line. It is the point in life, watch this, where your trust is in Jesus. That Jesus has died on a cross for the penalty of all my sins, that Jesus has paid the punishment for the wrath that is to come. And I am so overwhelmed that somebody would do that for me. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude that now I wanna live my life in a way that will honor him and advance his cause, and I will seal it in the waters of baptism. So wrath is taken out of the way at the moment of baptism, not because of baptism, but because of Jesus. And when that happens in your life, that you've had a relationship, an encounter with Jesus, and you've sealed that as the only hope I ever have to escape the wrath. I seal it in Christian baptism waters. My old life dies, my new life comes up. What's new about me? I got a new purpose, I got a new way to live. I'm not worried about wrath anymore. Wrath is out of the way. And when that happens to you, you now have the faith of Noah. And God has been pleased at that. I was thinking about that when I was kind of wrapping up these thoughts this week and how I was going to put them together. I remember being at a, at a uh, preacher's conference one time and they were giving away um, silly awards and stuff to different preachers. And one of those was whoever had the funniest uh, baptism story. So we all kind of told our funny baptism stories. When preachers get together, um, we get a chance to talk about how goofy all you people are, okay? Because you talk about us, we know you do, okay? So we talk about you when we're all together, okay? And so they said, what's the funniest baptism story you've ever had? And I remember a couple of guys, one of the guys said it was the first time he ever baptized somebody, and he was a nervous wreck. He didn't know how to baptize, and he was just absolutely scared. He did it on a Sunday night. I remember saying it was Sunday night, and he said, thank God it was a Sunday night. And I'm baptizing this guy, and he goes, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and he put him down under the water, and he's pulling him up, and he said, while I'm pulling him up, I remember, I probably should have, shed, should have said Jesus, too. And so the guy comes up, you know, whopping, and he goes, oh, yeah, and in the name of Jesus. And he put him back down again, and the guy came up, and now he's kind of gasping, and then he remembered, oh, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. And he comes up, and he said, the guy looked up at the sky and says, I'm glad there's just three of you, okay? So <laughs> there was this other guy who said, um, that uh, he was thinking about, okay, what's the funniest baptism stories that he had? And um, he talked about that they had volunteers baptize people at their church. And uh, we do that often too. We, have, we want you to baptize your people, okay? You don't have to be a clergy person to baptize somebody. And so in this church, they had volunteers kind of team of people baptized. And the person baptizing that day was a police officer. 
And um, he was out of uniform. He was in regular street clothes, but he was the baptism guy. And so he was up in the baptistry area, and this young kid was getting baptized. So the kid comes up, and they're going back in the room, and they're changing clothes and stuff. And the, uh, the guy baptizing him. The police officer pulls his shirt off, and his gun's right there. And he said, his kid gets eyes like this. And the officer said, we have a no back out policy at our church. <laughs> so I, I remember in this little setting, all these guys were telling these funny stories. And then the guy that led it got up and he said, now I, I, I want to apologize for anybody who thinks that we ought not be laughing about baptism. You know, it's inappropriate. That's a really serious thing. And then he said something I've never forgotten. He said, but I want you to know that I disagree with you. Because when you place your full trust in Jesus, you go from fear to joy. Fear to joy. And that's the way Noah teaches us to live with faith. You know that wrath is coming. But Jesus got it out of your way. And that ought to cause a sense of joy and happiness and thrill within you if you've experienced that. And so my challenge for those of us in this room who can get in our car in a few minutes and we can say, you know what, I know rest on the way, but it's out of my way. You stand strong, you be consistent, you don't give up, and don't let anybody ever steal your joy. But if wrath is still on the way for you, dude, at some point, you gotta get in the boat. You gotta get in the boat. Father, I thank you for um, the way Scripture is woven together like this. I thank you that, that sometimes we got to dig down in it and we got to spend a little time thinking through it. And it, it's just fascinating to me that something that is written in the very beginning of the book hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago really doesn't even make sense until something that was written at the end of the book. And I thank you for the people who are sitting here right now and we're going to be able to close our eyes in bed tonight in peace and joy because we know that although wrath is on the way, it's out of our way. And I want to thank you for that. I thank you for the hope and the joy and the peace that your children have. That's why we could sing the way we did a little bit ago. But Father, I pray for those who tonight maybe have heard that that peace may not be there yet that they may be in the before picture of Noah where he shuddered in holy fear. And I pray that you'll just work on hearts that need to hear that and let them know that you love them and you've given them a, 
a possibility to be on the other side of this transformation. So let your Holy Spirit do his work in their life, and I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.